You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. I'm enjoying this series in Philippians. I hope that you are as well enjoying our time together in this. Um, today is the uh, sort of where we get into the subject matter that a lot of us don't enjoy talking about and certainly don't enjoy embracing. Um, and that is when we talk about Christians and adversity, when things sort of come against us uh, and having to uh, do the appropriate thing or have the appropriate response to the adversities that we're going through. I'm not typically a, a, a negative Nancy sort of person, uh, but once in a while I, I can go down that path. Uh, once in a while I can get quite melancholy about some things in life. But there have only been a couple of times in my, my personal walk with God where I've, I've really wrestled and struggled with where God had me, where God uh, allowed me to, to be. Um, but those are difficult times. Those are, are very, very tough times. And it's very easy for you and I to, to feel some of that onslaught uh, of the evil one when he tries to overwhelm us with things like disappointment or discouragement. Or maybe if things just aren't going right, they're not going the way we would want them to go, uh, it becomes very difficult to, to sort of stay where we need to be in our mindset and in our heart with God. Uh, we can even sometimes as Christians begin to question God and why he would allow certain things to happen the way that they do in our lives. Those are all things that we wrestle with. And I think one of the keys for us as God's people is how we how we transition out of that place of finding ourselves in adversity, even when the adversity continues. How do we transition into a place where we are, we are able to look at God in a, in a good way, we're able to embrace the will of God, we're able to still declare that God is good, we're able to move on and, and work and be productive, even though we may be in some sense stuck in a place that can be quite difficult for us, as we see the Apostle Paul here today. So I want to I just begin uh, by quoting uh, a writer this morning um, and, and then asking you a question, if you will. Uh, D.A. Carson actually addresses this particular uh, book uh, of Philippians and especially this particular part of the book of Philippians. And this is what he says. Just listen to these words. Paul's example is impressive and clear. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. Our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and the splendor of the gospel of Christ. As Christians, we are called upon to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. What are your aspirations? To make money? To get married? To travel? To see your grandchildren grow up? To find a new job? To retire early? None of these are inadmissible. None is to be despised. The question is, whether these aspirations become so devouring that the Christian's central aspiration is squeezed into the periphery or choked out of existence entirely. And that is a danger. 
That is the danger for you and I as God's people is that we let peripheral things happen and they grow up and they get big and those personal aspirations begin to choke out the primary aspiration that God has called us to, the primary charge that we have been given, and that is to go into all the world and make disciples. And so the question for you and I comes right down to being very simple. What is most important to you? What is, what is the most important thing in your life right now? Is it to get somewhere? Is it to be something? Is it to do something? Is it to get something that, that you put great value or, 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 or uh, uh, high value upon? Or is it to understand what God is asking of us and to say, you know what, above everything else in my life, I am going to be a person who aspires, focuses, is driven to sharing the gospel. The, the advancement of the gospel is going to be the key primary focus of my life. Now, let's look at Paul this morning for just a few minutes, and then I'm going to give you about four takeaways from, from this, this passage here. Um, Paul, Paul makes a passing reference here, really, uh, in our text, in, in verse 12. If you look at it there, he, he's really saying, Here, here's what has happened to me. That's the way he kind of phrases it. Here's, here's what has happened to me. He, he doesn't make a meal out of this whole thing. I mean, he doesn't just like, like camp here and he's forever wrestling with all of this. Um, but one writer says that, that for Paul, uh, a journey to Rome that should have taken uh, like weeks took many months and then he nearly drowned. Um, and then he spent years in prison. Um, and, and some have even suggested that maybe Paul, Paul as a Christian spent more years in prison than he did out of prison. Um, but but this, this long journey to actually sitting and writing this letter that you're reading today, that is the letter to the church at Philippians, it, it took years for all of this to, to, to come together. And, and when the Apostle Paul sort of set foot in Jerusalem, he was forewarned by the Holy Spirit that, that there would be bonds and imprisonment that would be waiting him. He understood sort of the cost of what was in front of him. Uh, he had some sense of it, some revelation of it, and, and yet he went anyway. But it seems that trouble after trouble becomes the delay in Paul's life. And, and, and he seems to go out of his way here to really sort of reassure these, these people about joy in the midst of, of turbulent situations. Well, it seems like that Paul probably has a good sense of this. One writer says that he was nearly lynched by a religious mob. He ended up in the Roman prison. He escaped a flogging only by pleading citizenship. His whole case was best a mockery of justice all the way through. He was right on his side. He could not secure a hearing. He was made the subject of unjust and unprovoked insult and shame. There was malicious misrepresentation. There was a deadly plot against him. He, he was kept imprisoned, owing nothing to anyone. He was poor, in a sense. And all of this legalism just caved in on him. There was deceit. There was malpractice practice there was vilification around him all of these things happened to hold paul in this place now here's what we need to understand about paul all right paul calls all this 
what happened to me? In other words, he seems to put it in its proper place. He sort of gives it proper balance here. He said, now, he could, he could talk. Paul could tell you all about his accomplishments if, if you wanted to listen to them. He could do that, all right? But he's going through a, a whole lot here that he just sort of puts into one pouch and says, this is what happened to me. And, and you can read about it all through the book of Acts, uh, what went on. But but here's what I want you to understand. This apostle, this, this Paul, he is this very dynamic personality. He's very energetic. He's, he's very outgoing. He's, he's very creative. Um, he, he's in uh, season. He's out of season. He is advancing the kingdom of God. Um, can you imagine how frustrating it must be for a man who is so gifted uh, and so passionate to be locked up for years in a prison cell? What, what needs and opportunities he's seeing surround him. And I'll tell you what, a man as gifted as Paul is, when he sees needs, when he sees opportunities, I can tell you that it's going to pull something up in him. It's going to evoke some kind of emotion in him. You ask any pastor, any spiritual leader, uh, when, when they talk about their particular giftings, you can bet those gifts scream loud when needs are evident. I most feel my pastoral call when one of you is hurting. I hear it. I I feel it inside of me. It lifts something up inside of me that causes me to want to reach out to you and touch your life in some way. Even if I know I don't have the answer, I want to be there with you. I want to walk through that place with you. And so here is the Apostle Paul here. and, and, And he is, for many months here, given over to living in this so probably very cold cell, uh, a bed of straw, maybe uh, poor food, uh, antagonistic soldiers, if you will. They're they're all over the place. Um, why would that not be the question? Why would why would God allow this? Why would God let Paul be in this place? And and my answer to you today in driving us to a personal application here, is that sometimes we have no idea of the reasons why God is dealing with us in a particular way. One day we may know better, you know? But, but in this particular passage here, the Apostle Paul is giving us a, a number of reasons for his sufferings and, and both his attitude and, and sort of the guiding principles here I think they lay down what can help us to come to terms with the troubles that we encounter, the adversities that we go through. And, and believe me, some of these adversities seem to make life long and arduous. It seems like this will never end. I'll, I'm never going to get anywhere. But in the bigger scheme of things, folks, our lives are but a vapor. Our lives are, are a very short kind of journey here on this earth. And so what I would like to do is help us to look at Paul today for a moment and just see how he, uh, even though he is in these adversities and in these difficulties, how he transitions himself into a place of being very effective and being used by God right then and right there. Not, not putting his life on hold, not saying, I'm in a waiting mode, I'm, I'm not just going to float here, I'm not going to be an airplane that's just hovering, waiting for a chance to land I'm going to be doing something. I'm going to be effective for God. Now, 
let us break away here from this place of Paul's situation. And let me take you back a little bit further in time. Let's go back to the time of Joseph, the son of Jacob. One of the most um, sort of dramatic stories anywhere in Scripture and outside of Scripture for that matter is that of Joseph. He's the second youngest son of the patriarch Jacob. Uh, His father favored him. His brothers were jealous of him. They wanted to kill him. Eventually, they decided to sell him into slavery. Joseph was taken to Egypt, and uh, he became a very trusted servant to his new master there in Egypt until the master's wife falsely accused him of trying to molest her. And uh, then, uh, though he had done no wrong, he was thrown into prison. Now, after a while... He is suddenly brought out of prison to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. I'm giving you a very concise uh, account here of this story, all right? But he was so successful um, that Pharaoh put him in charge, uh, really um, a great leadership role, if you will, in the nation, um, and gave him sort of a national project, if you will, and that is to alleviate the coming famine. Now, in that particular capacity, he found himself selling grain to his own brothers, the brothers who had sold him into, into slavery uh, years before, uh, without them knowing it, of course. And eventually, he told them who he was. And uh, the story ends well. Uh, the whole family surviving the famine. The whole family settled in Egypt. Uh, but after their father, Jacob, dies, Joseph's brothers are very fretful, and, and they're afraid that Joseph is going to take revenge Uh, on them for what they had done years earlier. And so they come and they tell him that Jacob has told them uh, that they need to ask him for forgiveness. Now, N.T. Wright says this about it. He says, Joseph's reply to his brothers is one of the most memorable statements of faith anywhere in the Bible. And this is what Joseph says. He says to his brothers, don't be afraid. Don't suppose that I am in God's place. In other words, I'm not judging you. It's not my place to judge you and punish you. He says, after all, you meant evil against me. And here's the great phrase, but God meant it for good. But God meant it for good. Genesis 50, verse 20. And he forgives his brothers, and he continues to look after them in the land of Egypt. Now, let's go back to where we started And let's return to Paul's situation in Rome. Like Joseph, Paul seems to have something of this same kind of like unwavering confidence in God's overruling power and ability, uh, even when things seem to be really going wrong. Now, here's what you got to kind of understand this, all right? And, and, And that is that, well, let's go back for a second to Joseph. Joseph. He had a unique situation. He was able to look back on on the circumstance and see the hand of God. And sometimes in your adversities, you're able to look back and go, you know, God was so good to me then. I see, now I'm looking back, I see how God moved. I see what God did for me, okay? So I I get it. I understand the greatness of God. And and so I'm, I'm looking back. But folks, you and I cannot live our lives looking back. It's the Apostle Paul who actually says, and we'll, we'll look at this later on in the series, but he says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. I look forward. I, I press ahead. And I'll tell you what, if I said, I'm going to drive you somewhere, uh, but when we got in the car, I locked the doors, and I said, okay, now, just so you know, 
I'm going to be driving by looking in the rearview mirror. I'm only going to see what's behind me. You would have a real problem with that. that. That would not make sense to you. That would not feel safe to you. And that is not the way we live as Christians. We don't live our lives looking back. All right? We don't live our lives just concluding uh, ideas or principles or whatever from what has already happened. Paul, on the other hand, has this same sort of unwavering confidence and faith, but he's over here in the thick of it, all right? Paul doesn't have the privilege of stepping back and say, you know, I remember when I was in prison. Now I can see how God's hand was at work. No, Paul is actually in prison. He is the traveling apostle, all right? And in that place, he is coming up against all of this resistance to him sharing the gospel, and yet he shares the gospel. Yet he, he functions and he moves and he rejoices in the place that he is in. And there, there are a, 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 a lot of theologians who will point this out to you. And this is what I want to bring out here is, is how is it that Paul has this sort of confidence, this sort of uh, sense of joy, real time, as opposed to looking back. He is in the midst of his adversity. It is coming upon him right now. All right, so what is it that he is holding on to? And, and, and as several theologians point out in their writings, I think it's something that we have to say here, is that Paul has a much more recent storyline to, to bank on than Joseph did, all right? And that storyline is this, that there is another Jew who was falsely accused by his own people, and he suffered the ultimate penalty, if you will, death, at the hands of very wicked people, and he still demonstrated through the power of the resurrection that God meant it for good. And he held on right there. And that's what I want you to grab a hold of today. All right, That same power that Jesus experienced in the resurrection is the power that will allow you to transition out of getting stuck in a place of adversity and being able to hold on to this God is good mentality and live successfully and productively and function as, as, a, as a Christian today in this world. So with this story of Jesus just sort of echoing and, and bringing into focus this sort of idea it's really kind of like a mainline Jewish belief, and that is this, that Israel's God, Yahweh, would somehow strangely produce good out of evil. And we shouldn't be surprised in the positions that we find ourselves. We should be able to transition just as the Apostle Paul transitioned. All right, here's the problem. If you go out and Google and you do a little research about things like depression and despair, and hopelessness. America is eaten up with this stuff. All right? Now, th this isn't about any, any kind of diagnosis for anybody. We respect every diagnosis that is, is, is in the room, so to speak, okay? But what I'm telling you is that even in a place where you maybe have been diagnosed with some, some uh, mental illness, or you've been diagnosed with some malady, or you're just finding yourself to be a person who's easily overwhelmed by all of life, or maybe you're in a circumstance where like, like maybe a single mom with kids, and you don't know what to do, and there's so much that is, is in front of you. You may be 
going through some kind of financial struggle that's really taking a toll on you right now and it's really paralyzing you. What I'm saying to you is there is a way, I believe, if we look at the life of the Apostle Paul for us to to grab a hold of the same power that Paul grabs a hold of, which is the power that Jesus demonstrated in the resurrection. And we can take hold of this power and we can walk out of these situations to the place of still being effective for God. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul's circumstance didn't change. Paul is not writing to the church at Philippi and saying, hey, you know what? I just went through hell. But you know what? As I look back on it, God just redeemed it. He did something great. Let me tell you the story of God's redemption based on what happened back there. No, Paul is saying, I am in chains. (laughs) In other words, I'm here. I am in the adversity in the moment. But I'm not mad with God. Matter of fact, I'm not blaming God. Matter of fact, I'm going to give God a little credit here. I'm going to shift my thinking out of a world mindset and say, you know what? God is up to something. And there's some things that are happening here in my life right now. And they are all for advancing the gospel. And I am rejoicing because of that. And so he's living his life in such a way as to to be effective, to to have a good sense of himself, a good view of God, and to live in a joyful mindset and attitude through the adversity that is coming to him. And this is what I want for you and I, folks. I'm going to tell you what. I do not believe for one minute, I do not believe, that it is a good witness for you and I to be Debbie Downers. It's it's just not good. If you and I cannot smile, if we cannot find a place of joy, if we cannot find godly contentment, that's another thing we're going to talk about uh, as we get further into the series. But but if we cannot transition out of these places that that are dark for us and hold on to this promise that God has for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ... We are not a good witness. We are not a good testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a church, uh, we need to be there. All right? Now, I'm not in any way discounting that any of you can have a bad day. You can all have a bad day. Matter of fact, you can have a bad week. That's about it. But you can have a bad week, okay? Now, some of you have been going through trials that are troubling and, and, and tumultuous and turbulent for years. Some of you have situations in your life that, that have just now come on you. They're new to you and you are unfamiliar with how to navigate them and how to handle them. But whether you have been in this, this adversity for a long time or this adversity is sort of brand new to you, I think the answer is the same. And that is that we fix our eyes on Jesus. That we look to Jesus and the resurrection and the power of the resurrection and we live out of that power that we have. And so... I want to give you four takeaways here this morning from this message. And I would love for you to just wrestle around with these uh, quite a bit here, if, if you will. And, and hopefully these will help you to make some, some really great transitions in how you, you view life and how you see God and how you make decisions going forward, okay? These are things that I believe adversity can do. And I believe we see them in the life of the Apostle Paul. The first one is this. Here's the first takeaway. I believe that adversity can open doors for the gospel. 
all right? I think this is maybe one of the most important ones of all. But whatever you're going through, yes, it may be tough. Yes, it may be difficult. Yes, it may be challenging. But there is, there is a lining in the cloud, so to speak, here, okay? And that is that it can open the door for the gospel in some way. If, if we can begin to talk to God in such a way as to find out what is his purposes and what is his will here, I think we can begin to see some things differently. Paul is faced with a couple of problems here, one on, on top of the other. And in, in, in both cases, he declares uh, that what looks like a, a really major difficulty is being turned by God into a real opportunity for the gospel. And it isn't, of course, an opportunity for his own advancement now, okay? And I think sometimes in the church we get this idea, okay, whatever God is going to do in my life to advance the gospel is going to advance me. You know, so like, like we get these threads of prosperity in what God is doing all the time. And it's like, okay, God's going to open a door. And, and I, I might go through a little something, but it's going to advance me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get somewhere. Paul isn't getting anywhere right now. Paul is stuck. Paul is in chains, he says. He is confined, if you will, in probably Rome here. And, and he is stuck there and isn't getting to go anywhere. The traveling apostle, the man who is supposed to be going about all of the country and, 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 and sharing and encouraging the churches and building up the leadership and laying foundation and, and teaching the, 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 the truths of Scripture. All of these things are things that he is supposed to be doing and they're in his heart to do. And yet, he is bound by chains here. And here's what I want you to understand. If God has a situation in your life right now, and he has allowed you to be in a place where you are stuck in some capacity, that does not in any way hinder God from doing great and wonderful things in your life. You can work, you can move, you can have your being in Christ, and you can be effective and you can be productive The book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 8, the letter to the church at Philadelphia, he says, Behold, I have set before you an open door. No one is able to shut. This is what he says. Church, no one is able to shut it. And then that that alone is hope. That alone just, just exudes faith, if you will, all right? But listen to what he says next to this church. He says, I know that you have but little power. You know what he's saying? I know you're weak. I I know. I know you're you're weak. You don't don't have a lot of strength right now. He goes, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is Paul. In prison, in chains, has kept the word and has not denied the name of Jesus. And even though, in some sense, he is weakened by the chains that hold him, he is weakened by the circumstances around him, he sees an open door. Paul is sitting there going, "Ah, this is my interpretation. Paul is sitting there going, okay, I'm in chains, but I have some sort of liberty here. I'm, I'm like under house arrest, so these guards have to watch me. I'm realizing there's a guard with me all the time. Well, the guards have to change, so they shift out. So I actually have a one-on-one opportunity to share the gospel. And you know what? These guys think I'm the one that's in chains. They can't go anywhere. They're locked 
to me. I am going to tell them about Jesus. And so he begins one by one telling every guard uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Stuff begins to happen. Things begin to shift. And he begins to be effective in sharing Jesus with others. And, and it's really quite amazing here because this is a door that man cannot shut. No one, the guard can't say, I, I'm not going to do this. He's bound by Rome to watch over Paul, and Paul understands that. And so Paul takes advantage of the opportunity, and he's sharing the gospel all through the courtyard. And so he becomes one of the most effective people witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ while he is in chains. Now, he could have said, well, this is stupid. This is really dumb. I don't know what God is doing. Here I am. I'm stuck. I got this chain around my ankle. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Well, I'm just going to sit here on this straw and wait. That's all I know to do. I don't know anything else. No. He was able, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to see, if you will, the door of opportunity. He was able to see a way in to the lives of men whom he could share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, and he became a great witness to them. So he becomes okay with the fact of where he's at. It doesn't bother him that he's there. He's saying, even though I'm here, God is using it. God is advancing the kingdom through my being here in this prison. I don't know where God has you necessarily. I don't. I don't need to know. Here's what I know. I know God will give you a door. I know that God will open an opportunity for you right where you are. And you need to understand, your adversity may be the ticket in. What you are going through may be the means of opening the heart of someone else. I found it most amazing in my own life from time to time when someone has been in in places of great despair or adversity in their lives. And they're really wrestling. They're really wrestling with where God is in all of this. I find it most amazing that when I say, well, here's what I will tell you. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. It seems like that that is like a piece of lead and it falls right there by my foot. But when I say, listen, I want to tell you something. I can understand what you're going through and what you're feeling because there was a time when I and I share a piece of my story that that person is immediately by the adversity in my own life and the testimony of the faithfulness of God in that I have a captive audience suddenly and they hear with an eye and an ear for what the Spirit is saying to them not necessarily what I am saying to them God will open a door God will advance the kingdom in your most adverse situation if you will allow him to use it for his glory and if you won't let that adversity overwhelm you but rather see the door in it that gives you that opportunity. That's the first takeaway. Adversity can open new doors for the gospel. The second takeaway today for you, I I would hope, would be that adversity can encourage a really bold witness. (laughs) All right? I am convinced that Today, in this day, in the world that we're living in, in America, 
there needs to be a bold witness. We cannot be very quiet Christians anymore. We've got to be able to stand up and, and to be bold. One of Paul's main challenges is that he is in prison. He, he's functioning, as I said earlier, as sort of the church's traveling apostle. Um, but this, this becomes very problematic for Paul, I think. How, how, can he, you know, how can he possibly continue to do the work that he's been called to do if he's supposed to go to all of these churches? And, and Paul has this really strong belief in, in the way that God works through seemingly unlikely circumstances. And he's ready. He's ready to go. He's ready to do whatever. Paul was ready to, to move on, a, on, on a, uh, an impulse. If the Holy Spirit moved him or spoke, he was gone. He didn't stick around longer than he should. But, but Paul seems to, to take faith in the midst of this sort of adversity that he's in right here. But what happens here in this passage is that other Christians began to take courage as well. Others began to see and hear about what Paul is doing and how he's sharing and how he's witnessing and how he has joy in the midst of his circumstances. And they began to see the impact that Paul is having even on <clears throat> probably hardened soldiers. And so, why shouldn't they seize the moment and speak about King Jesus to their friends and to their neighbors as well? If Paul can do it with with the, the, the Roman officials and the Roman guard, surely we can do it with our neighbor or with our friend. And so this boldness that we see in Paul that comes out of this adversity that he is, is in begins to trickle out and have an effect upon others. And it actually has a catching to it, if you will. And other people in the church begin to get very bold as well. And so the early church has this mark. This is, this is an absolute mark etched on the early church is their boldness, their ability to not be afraid of the current government or what people may think or what people may say or even what people may do. They have this amazing boldness to say, you know what, regardless of what I encounter, regardless of what kind of adversity I face, regardless of the level of persecution that is coming against me, I am going to be bold about my faith. In the book of Acts, the early church was marked by boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the leaders were astonished when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, uh, realizing that these two men, they were called uneducated and common. In other words, they didn't stand out. These were not standout guys. These were not not big guys. These were not hot dogs in, in the community or anything like that. They had no reputation, if you will. But what marked them, what made them stand out, was their boldness to share the gospel. And the entire group of followers, in a, in a few verses down, verse 31, it says they prayed and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. All right? So this is a mark that happens in the early church. There is no period of time that we could say is more outrageously adverse and difficult and challenging than when the early church was persecuted for their faith. And so here we have a church that is rising up and not willing to say, you know what, I'm going to have to suffer and, and be silent and, 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 and be quiet and pull back. And, and resist and throw away my confidence and, and go home discouraged and close my doors and, and be a silent minority. No, 
This church stood up and God gave the church opportunities and wisdom and insight and revelation how to navigate through this persecution. Did a lot of people suffer? Yes. Did a lot of people die? Yes. Were a lot of people tortured? Yes. But the amazing thing is that they never lost their boldness and in the midst of all of that adversity, they grew and they grew and they grew. And my friend, you're sitting here today, the recipient and the benefactor of that courage and that boldness that grew the early church in the book of Acts. And the reality is for you and I is that in our circumstances, in our situations, we can transition out of silence into holy boldness. And we can be God's ambassador. We can be God's representative. We can be the ones who have the ministry of reconciliation among the people that we encounter day to day. Adversity encourages bold Here's the third takeaway this morning. Adversity can reveal our true friends. We see this in verses 15 through 17 here. Um, Paul has this other problem. He realizes that some of the people are going around talking about this Jesus, and they don't really mean it. They're really not a part of the family of God. They don't really even believe the message. And the truth is, they really actually want to make more trouble for Paul in prison. Um, These are most likely just pagan people. They're just ordinary people. But they've heard what all this fuss is about now. And now they're talking about it everywhere. They're bringing it out. And probably some of them are doing it in, in, on platforms, if you will. And they're taking advantage of opportunities to speak to other people in, in an open forum or in a public place or whatever. And, and they're, they're preaching this gospel message, if you will, but in such a way that it is not really their heart that is behind it. And so Paul begins to, no doubt, get messages from others Uh, about this. Paul actually can communicate with people. He's sending these letters out from this house arrest so people can come in and go out. He can send letters out. So Paul knows what's going on in the churches and he knows what's going on around him there. And, and, And the personal implication here for the apostle Paul is that these very foolish folk could endanger Paul's cause even more. His reputation could be brought in, into question even more, even putting his life into danger. So these people are not helping him. They're actually hurting him, if you will. All right. So he understands that these people are not true to, to kinship and friendship with him. They are not partakers of the gospel that we talked about in the early part of chapter 1. Okay? These people are actually antagonistic in some way in their motives, even though they are preaching Jesus. But here's the wonderful thing about Paul. And I would love for us as a church to get this. Folks, we are always going to have people who are antagonistic towards us. There are always going to be people in the community that are going to be outright verbally assaulting the church of Jesus Christ. There are going to be others who are going to tell you that they love you and they're going to stab you in the back. There are going to be those that they look like a sheep, they act like a sheep, they talk like a sheep. But when you turn them upside down, the sheepskin falls off and they're a wolf. That's going to happen. That's going to be there. And you're going to get disappointed and you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt at your workplace. You're going to get hurt in your neighborhood, 
with your neighbor. You're going to get hurt with family members. All of these things are going to happen. But here's what Paul says. I know that people are out there preaching the gospel. I hear about it. It's great. I I love that people are preaching the gospel. They're, They're advancing the kingdom of God. This is awesome. Their heart is so right. They're so good. I, just, I, I love these people. But then in the same sentence almost, it's like he says, hey, I know there's people out there and they're preaching the gospel and they got all the wrong motives. Some of them are doing it for money. Some of them are doing it to my demise. They're trying to, to, to destroy me. I, I get that. But then he says, you know what? I'm a happy camper. Here's why. The gospel is being proclaimed. Let me encourage you and ask you to do something. Let's transition as a church. Let's do this today. We don't have to wait till we're in another building or we become a true middle-sized church or all those kinds of things I've been harping on. Okay, we can do this right now. Let's choose to be a church that is full of the power of the Holy Spirit, that is living and proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that judges no one, no group, no organization, no other church. How about we just decide we're going to focus on Jesus and preach Jesus and preach the gospel and just keep going? And when these people come against us and when we're attacked and when we're talked about and when we're put down and belittled and, and, and lied about and all these other things, let's just say, you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy that the gospel is being proclaimed. And you know what? Let's not worry about the motives in another church. Let's not worry about the motives of another pastor. Let's not worry about the motives of your neighbor or whoever. Let's just, let's just look to Jesus. And let's live in that place of the gospel is going forth. And I tell you what, there's enough of people in this neighborhood, this expanded neighborhood that God has given us. There's enough people for us to spend all of our days and nights sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it will never get done. All right? So let's us, as God's people, let's realize that when adversity comes against life, folks, people are going to talk about life church. If we're growing, if we're doing good things, we're going to get talked about. That's what the devil loves to do. That's one of the ways that he comes against the church. He comes against the reputation of the church first. He comes against the reputation of the people in the church. You're going to get hit. The enemy's going to come against you. If you're going to love God and be faithful to God and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and have, have energy and be positive and love all people and, and share your goods and, and bless other folks and pray hard and, and, and intercede and be diligent and all these kind of things, you're going to get hit by the enemy. And one of the first places that he tries to hit us is our reputation. First, he tries to get it through us. He tries to tell you and condemn you of yourself. Then, if that doesn't work, he goes outside of you and tries to condemn you to others. But what I'm telling you is that Paul understood something here. I know who my true friends are, and I know who's not my true friends. Adversity can reveal that kind of stuff to me. And in my adversity, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to rejoice that the gospel is being advanced. Don't get on those bandwagons with people, if you will. All right? So the question here is, is how often are you, as a part of this body, how often are you discouraged, depressed, down because your plans were roadblocked in some way or because someone tried to make your life difficult. Um, Let's learn from from Paul here, okay? Let's learn how to transition out of this adversity. And and let's learn from Joseph as well, all right? Let's, Let's cultivate the ability to see God's purposes working out through the problems and the difficulties that we encounter. 
Let's hold each other up. Let's care about each other. Let's love one another. Let's be strong for each other. Let's undergird each other. Let's do this as the body. Let's let's become a stronger body than we ever have been, knowing that that is an answer for us transitioning out of adverse situations and becoming the target of the enemy. Because all he wants to do is get you off to yourself and attack. Don't do that. Don't let that happen. Don't live in that place because it's a dangerous place. Let us as the body grow together and let us, let us be transformed, if you will, through the adversities that we are going through. Last takeaway here. Adversity can prove our ultimate values. When I use the term prove here, I mean refine, strengthen, solidify. Adversity, the heat of adversity will prove your, your ultimate values. You see this in verse 18, that last verse there. Paul's response is, God meant it for good. The king is being proclaimed. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to have a good time. But, but Paul's reaction is, is, to re-celebrate, is, is, is to celebrate and sort of rejoice at, at the same time that all of this is going on. So his view is, I don't worry and fret about motives. I don't worry and fret about what's going on around me. I'm here to say I'm declaring that Jesus is Lord and I'm happy that that is being preached among people. Is that a supreme desire in your life that the gospel of Jesus Christ is advanced? Is that supreme over your own personal ambitions? Is that supreme over your own desires? Is that supreme over your own happiness? Is that the gospel is being advanced? And your adversity will reveal to you where your heart really is. Your adversity that you are going through in your life will refine you. And it will help you to see what really is deep down in your heart. Is it that regardless of my circumstance, I will surrender my circumstance. I will surrender my life. I will lay down my life. I will present my body a living sacrifice to this Jesus in order for the advance of the gospel. Or I'll surrender to you, God, as long as I can retire and, and live in some community where there's a beach and there's all these, these good, wonderful things like fruit to eat and juice to drink and avocados and mangoes and those kinds of things. You know? Nothing wrong with any of that. But is that squeezing out the advance of the gospel today in your life and in your heart? Is your ambition so great in an area that the advancement of the gospel has been stifled? It has shrunk or it is paralyzed. It has been silenced and muffled. Or it has actually most dangerously been destroyed. This is where we come to. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while it is necessary. You have been grieved by various so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
that. Your genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe that this is right where Paul found himself. He was constantly being tested through the trials and the adversities, but he was constantly coming up proved over and over again and strengthened and fortified in his own heart and his own mind being transformed and being renewed to the place that he could say, I glory and I rejoice in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what is going on in my life is serving purpose that the gospel can be advanced. And regardless of anything around me, any situation or circumstance, today I will stand and say, I rejoice in the name of Jesus. And I believe that you and I can do that. I, can, I believe that we... Here's what I really believe. I believe that if we get this, it will literally change the, the atmosphere and the culture of worship in this church. I believe you will walk in here rejoicing for things that you never thought about rejoicing about. I think that you will, you will live lives that are, are, have, have built-in repentance going on all the time. Because we're suddenly seeing from a whole different perspective. And we, we're seeing this ability to transition out of going down because we're going up. We, we move away from just looking back at how it used to be or was or whatever. And we start to see what the promises and the provision and the purposes and the direction of God is for our lives. And as we do that individually, it becomes a, a, a corporate blessing to all of us. We're able to encourage one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're being able to advance the gospel as a team of people in Life Church. And I believe that is what God wants for us. All right? Let me just pray for you, and then uh, Nathan is going to come and he's going to share the gospel with you this morning. Father, I want very much for you to shift us. I, I want very much, Father, that that we are not ruled by adversities and, and, and by difficulties. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room that, that we can rise up above circumstances and situations and we can live out of a desire to advance the gospel. I pray for those people today who walked in here with, with disappointments and, and heartaches and frustrations and questions uh, to you that have gone unanswered. I pray, God, that we can rise above all of that to see your purposes and, and your will for our lives and how we might serve in advancing the gospel. I pray for every person in this room today who has a marriage that is, has been in a tough place, God, uh, because we've, we've banked on the other person or we've banked on the, the, the fun of the marriage or, or, or the things that come along with it, God, and we've not put you first in that marriage and made that marriage an opportunity to advance the gospel. I pray for every person in this room today, Lord, who has been caught up in the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and all these things where they just have bought that lie that says, if I just get enough stuff, if I just have enough things, if it just feels good enough, I'll be all right and everything will be good at the expense of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray for us, God, that you will shift us, that you will cause us all to transition as the people of God and that you would help Life Church, Lord, that we would rise up with an intent and a purpose to make, 
the advancement of the gospel, the primary purpose of all that we do, and that everything that we do is sifted through that particular filter as we go forward, Lord. I pray that you prove us, Lord, in the places where we are taken through difficult times. I pray that every person in this room will be proved by the Holy Spirit's power. I pray that the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ would work in and through every one of us, God, and that we would be faithful people, Lord. And I pray that in the midst of whatever circumstances we face and encounter, we will be a people who will stand up and publicly declare in the fact that the gospel is being advanced in my life, I rejoice today in the midst of my circumstances to the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do this, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nathan, come and share the gospel. How are you guys doing with this word this morning? Some of you feel like you're in prison this morning. You're in that place. And maybe there's a decision you have to make to get out of that prison. Maybe there is no decision for you to make. But you have a decision Are you willing to glorify God? Are you willing to bring glory to Him? That is a decision you have. Not because you have power within you, but because Jesus is able to give you that power. Paul was in prison. But you might say that he had gotten used to being in prison. Because God had come to him in prison years before that. When he was turned away from God... Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul. And Jesus can reveal himself to you too. God can come to you and give you the power, even in your prison, to give him glory. He will point you back to Jesus. He'll show you that Jesus is the one who was sent by God the Father, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for your sins, who rose again on the third day. He will give you power. He'll even give you his Holy Spirit. And he'll point you back. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you this morning. We need your grace. So come to us. Give us power. Power to proclaim. We know we cannot be free. We cannot be joyful people unless you come to us. So come with your grace. Fall upon this church. Fall upon this people. And turn our hearts to you that we might proclaim joyfully all that you are. And in proclaiming who you are, we might find ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you need to make a decision today, there are people to pray with you up here. If you'd like prayer for something in your life, please do so. If you need a minute just to to reflect, you can do that too. Otherwise, you're dismissed. God bless you.